Thanks for listening to the Praise Family of Churches podcast. We have physical buildings throughout Oregon, including Monmouth, McMinnville, and Mitchell, but our community extends around the world. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website online at praise.family. Hi, church. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Patrick. With my wife, Jalea, uh, we pastor the Praise and Mitchell Church and um, also Spoken Hostel, which was sort of a visionary thing that uh, Jalea put together and is a ministry of the church. Um, this is a ministry of uh, all the Praise churches. And so if you ever get a chance to come out and chat with us about the hostel, it's a pretty cool thing and we'd love to show it to you. Uh, today, I get a chance to sort of carry on this message about Nehemiah and building the wall and rebuilding the church and, and what that means for our lives. And Today, uh, I want to take a look at sort of rebuilding the wall as a quest for holiness and uh, sort of tie that together. Um, and to do that, I brought us out to uh, Black Canyon, which is one of my favorite places out here in Mitchell. And uh, we're going to hike back about a mile in and uh, see some beautiful canyon walls. And uh, it seemed like a good setting. Um, and to see some walls that God built on his own, which are, I think, pretty fantastic. And you might enjoy them, too. So... Let's hike in a little bit, and then we'll talk about Nehemiah and the quest for holiness. This is a beautiful part of the world here. We're coming into Black Canyon. All right, since we're hiking, we got a few seconds together. <laughs> thought we'd talk about Nehemiah real quick. So Nehemiah is a governor. Uh, Ezra, we talked through Ezra, and Ezra is a priest and a scribe. And uh, you notice that that God moves on the heart of Ezra to rebuild the temple, whereas God moves on the heart of Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. So why those projects, right? Well, Nehemiah as a governor, he recognizes that if God's people are going to thrive in relative safety, if, if other kingdoms are going to come pay tribute to the kingdom of Israel, that there needed to be a wall around the city. Because without the wall, it's sort of like posting your debit card information on Facebook and then leaving the, uh, the pin in the, uh, in the comments. And then, you know, going to the bank and asking for a loan, the banker's going to say, no way, it's just going to, it's going to evaporate. So Nehemiah as a governor, he knows that God's people in order to thrive in relative safety, they need a wall. And you see this, this spring up out of Nehemiah's heart and gives him courage to go to the King and say, Hey, I want to rebuild this wall. And in so doing, he's performing an act of holiness and he's on this quest of holiness. And one of that, and part of that quest is uh, attaining safety and uh, security for the children of Israel and the temple of, of God. And so it's kind of interesting to see that sometimes God moves on different people in different ways and different projects. And, um, you know, one project may not be more holy than another but it's different. So keep that in mind as we sort of talk through the scriptures today and just uh, think about that in your own life. We are in Black Canyon and it's a nice, beautiful basalt canyon walls and uh, kind of get to see these walls that, that God built. It's fantastic. But let's look at Nehemiah and how uh, rebuilding a wall equates to a quest for holiness. And so we're covering chapters uh, 10, 11, and 12 in Nehemiah. Now, that's a pretty big section of scripture. There's probably five, eight, ten, I don't know, good sermons in there. Uh, but today we're going to focus on this uh, this concept of a quest for holiness. Um, 
And just a just a sort of a word about these chapters. There's a lot of there, it's a big list to be honest. You know, again, Nehemiah is a he's a logistics guy, he's a resource guy, so he's really keeping track of of what people did, what and when and where and what their jobs were and what resources were used. And so um, it's no surprise that this is a really big list of names and things and resources. But there's a propensity to just kind of push through all the names and just sort of blow through this section of Nehemiah. And I would caution you because there is there there are some really great nuggets of God's heart for us sort of sandwiched in between these long lists of names that are virtually impossible for us uh, to pronounce. And so uh, I would say if you're reading through this, this is a great place to just kind of pause and sort of read through. And if you're in a community group, you know, this is a great spot to just sort of like, you know, find those little nuggets and we're going to kind of, we're going to talk about those things. Um, so we're going to, uh, starting out, um, I'm going to keep this kind of, you know, on three bullet points, which is pretty familiar territory for our praise family. And, uh, so chapters 10, 11, and 12, um, is this beautiful picture of Jeremiah's, uh, love for details. As I said, he's a logistics and resource guy. Um, and, Details are an interesting um, insight into the heart of someone. Um, details uh, are reflective of desire. When you really desire something, when you're really passionate about something, um, you tend to go deep into the details. And uh, I remember when I was a, a newspaper photographer way, way back in the day, we used to have these cameras and you had to put this uh, stuff called film in them. And then you had to like put that film and chemistry. And then you had to turn around and put that film into a, an enlarger and you had to make a print. And then that print went to, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the markup department and they would put the newspaper together. Well, I would obsess about printing. You know, I had all these techniques of burning and dodging and all this kind of stuff. And I loved being in the dark room and just like really, really focusing on the details of a really good print because it's where my heart was. I wanted to reflect uh, as best I possibly could the image that I had taken, the moment that I was in, the surroundings and um, the story that was trying to be told. It was my, my heart and my passion to tell that story in an image. And so I would obsess about the details. Well, Jeremiah, <laughs> Nehemiah, <laughs> sorry, Nehemiah is obsessing about the details of rebuilding the wall. And he goes into great detail about the Levites and the singers and the, and, you know, who was instructed to give firewood to the, you know, to, uh, to sacrifices and, and, and who was going to put what in the storehouse and, and all of these things. And what you see is in the details, Nehemiah's heart is to please God. It's to, he's, his, his sole focus is to, um, really, un, uh, understand and execute what it is that God meant in his law. He talks about the law of Moses. He talks about the laws of David. And um, he really, really just um, is passionate about those details. Those details, again, are a reflection. And his holiness, Nehemiah's holiness and search for holiness, and not just holiness for himself, but all of God's people, is so passionate and ingrained. I mean, next week, you know, we'll talk about 
how far his passion takes him and how passionate he is about, about holiness. Um, but you can see that he wants the people of Israel, the children of Israel to return to their homeland, passionate and, and devoted to their God. And so he goes into all these details. And so, uh, as you read through 10, 11 and 12, um, don't just blow through the names. Take a moment to really examine those details. Read it at home alone, you know, just spend some time. And, and if something hits you, just spend some time with that because it's really important, um, not just in Nehemiah's life and in the children of Israel, but when you see other people in your life really focusing on details, it, it's, a, it's a good insight into their passions and, and what they're passionate about. And oftentimes those things that they're passionate about have a root in them that's very pleasing to God. So, so again, uh, Nehemiah, big list, but there's some really cool nuggets in there. So, so, uh, the details, uh, often, often, uh, are a mirror to the desire of that person. So, uh, second point that I want to get into is that, um, uh, holiness, holiness is, is not, you don't come to holiness from fear. And th this, this is where I think that as humans, as, as God's children, Nehemiah and the children of Israel, I, I feel like this is where maybe they got a little off track. Now, you know, I'm not telling God he did it wrong and I'm not telling Nehemiah he did it wrong, but I understand where they're coming from. And so in chapter 10, I'm going to read this, uh, a section of this chapter. It's a lot of text. We're not going to put it on the screen. We'll just put the reference numbers on there so you can read through it later. And again, great thing about this, you can pause it and uh, take a look at it yourself. So in chapter 10, uh, in verses uh, 28 through 39, um, Nehemiah talks about this oath that the, that the children of Israel take. They're, they're working on the wall. They're about to dedicate it. And, and Nehemiah says, um, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, he names all, again, you know, in detail, names everybody. And he says, all, those, all of these now join their brothers and the nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Okay, so right there you see, there's this, we have bound ourselves with a curse. Like that's a, that, that's a pretty fearful thing. <laughs> I mean, I've bound myself with a curse. That's pretty scary stuff. Um, so we're dealing with, a already with a, like this fearful notion. And so anyway, so then he continues on. Uh, he says, uh, in verse 32, we assume the responsibility for the carrying out of the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. Okay. So here's a, here's a money thing, right? He says, we, we, we dedicate, uh, we, ex we assume the responsibility. Verse 34, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people will cast lots to determine each of our families to bring to the house of our God at set times each year to contribute wood to burn on the altar. Okay, so now, again, here we are. We're saying, okay, so we're going to do this. Verse 36, as it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and our herds and our flocks. Again, here we are. We're trying to meet the laws of God. Verse 37, moreover, and I love the word moreover. It's, it's like, it's like dedication, right? Moreover, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests, the first of our ground meal. And it kind of goes through and it lists the things that people will bring their first fruits of. 
And the people of Israel, verse 39, the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring contributions of grain, new wine to the storerooms. Um, and then it, it, it wraps up and it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. So when you listen to that, there's this desire for holiness, right? There's this desire to do things in a way that is pleasing to God, to fulfill the laws to the nth degree. And interestingly enough, each of those verses starts out with we. It says, we're going to do this. We, I, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, one of the most fearful terms uh, in my life is when I say, I can handle it. I will do this. Because as soon as you say that, you are bound by your pride <laughs> to carry out something all on your own. And it gives you no back door to, you know, to sort of jump back and say, mm, I can't handle this without a great sense of humility, right? And so you proceed uh, in the task that you have said, I will take care of this by myself with a sense of fear that you can't fail. You can't go backwards. There's, there's no turning back now. You have to do it. And when you proceed seeking God's holiness in your life, in your own strength, you do it in a fearful way. There's no place for humility. There's no place for failure. There's no place for God to work uh, in, a, in your life in such a way that renders this picture of him as being the source of your peace and of your strength and of your grace and of your mercy and all those spiritual gifts that we talk about. So in the quest for holiness, Nehemiah, you know, he's as a, as a logistics guy, you know, he's like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Let's all sign this contract and we're going to stick to it. Right. And, and you guys do that and you guys do this and, and we can do this. And, and that's all good. And that desire for holiness is there. But the execution of it is, is, I mean, imperfect at best and horribly flawed at worst. And um, I think we see that in our lives. We see our, our desire for holiness and we make these dedications, these decrees um, in these terrible moments in our lives where we think, oh, well, I'll just make this work. Well, it doesn't work very well. And um, in chapter 13, we're going to kind of take a look at maybe how things sort of fall apart a little bit, but I'm going to let Joe or someone else handle that particular uh, message. <laughs> but anyway, just be aware that as we read through, what we're seeing is a group of people who are taking it upon themselves without the help of God in some respects to become holy through doing certain things at certain times in a certain way. And God's version of holiness is so much bigger than that. It's more than just a formula. It's not just checking boxes. It's bigger than that. And honestly, it's simpler than that. And so we're going to talk about that real quick. Um, in John chapter 2, uh, verse 12, turn to that real quick. You can turn with me there too, if you'd like. John chapter 2, verse 12 Um here we are now we're in the new Testament and we're talking, uh, John's writing about, about Jesus. And he's, it's, it's a very familiar refrain because they're at the temple. And, um, one of the things back in Nehemiah that they, they promised, they said, we're not going to do business with people on the Sabbath. We aren't going to let, 
uh, outsiders come into our temple courts and we're not going to let them do business at the gates because the Sabbath must be kept holy. That's one of the things that they bound themselves to a, a curse and, a, and an oath to uphold because it was God's holiness that you would take a Sabbath. And Jesus comes along and he is the Sabbath, right? But he's still focused on the holiness of God's temple. So here in chapter 2 of John, uh, verse 12, um, John writes, um, uh, after this, so this is, uh, this is right after Jesus changes water into wine. After this, he went down to Capernaum uh, with his mother and brothers. Uh, verse 13, it was almost time for Passover, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 14, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins and the money changers overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Verse 17, the disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So here's Jesus. He's full of passion for holiness in the temple. And he's clearing it out. And he's saying, look, back in the days of Nehemiah, we agreed that this wasn't going to happen. And here we are, we're doing it. Verse 18, the demand, uh, then Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? So here we are. The Jewish leaders are defending the desecration of the Sabbath. I mean, how far have we come from this, this, this desire to be holy and to uphold God's laws to the point that where the leaders are defending, uh, you know, what's going on, which is clearly in violation of what God said. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, with a great eye roll, I'm sure, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Verse 23, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw him do miraculous signs uh, he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust them to himself for he knew all men. Verse 25, he did not need man's testimony about a man, for he knew what was in a man. Okay, so what is this? how does this equate to this quest for holiness and, and Nehemiah and the wall? Well, here's Jesus. He he comes on the scene and he he sees this egregious um, uh, breaking of the, of the law in the temple. And he confronts the religious uh, leaders and says, you know, you guys, come on, get this right. And then the leaders, of course, are like, uh, you know, what can you, you know, you don't have authority to do this. And Jesus says, you know what, tear the whole place down, burn it to the ground. I'll build it in three days. I'll build this up in three days, you know, and you know, the, the leaders were just, you know, they're frustrated, they're rolling their eyes. And he's like, they're saying, this guy's probably crazy. And again, the work that God's trying to do isn't physical. It's bigger than that. It's holiness. It's being sanctified. And so Jesus was saying, we're not talking about rebuilding. We're talking about rebirth, being reborn. It's about rebirth. It's not about rebuilding. And so Jesus comes along and he's saying, I don't want to just rebuild you like Nehemiah did with the wall and Ezra did with the temple. He's saying, I want to give you new life. I want to give you a life that is, is automatically holy just by letting me in. 
I'm going to take care of the broken down walls, the burnt gates, the destroyed altar, the wood for the sacrifice, the sacrifice itself. I'm going to take care of all that stuff. And you don't need the walls. You don't need the temple. I am those things. Let me give you new life. Be reborn, not rebuilt. And so this message of Jesus, you know, in the temple um, is obviously met with great resistance. It ended in a crucifixion, right? But now here we are all these years later, and we still try to rebuild our lives. And we make these oaths and, and, and bind ourselves to curses that if we don't do it a certain way, that we desire holiness. But yet the simplicity of it is Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way towards that holiness. I am the way to being reborn. So as we look at Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, think about the things, the projects in your life that you're passionate about. Are, there, are you trying to attain holiness through them? Are, are these works that you're trying to do to attain holiness? Or are they just an extension of being reborn? If you find yourself struggling and straining against opposition and all those kind of things, it's a good time to maybe step back. That doesn't mean that being reborn comes without struggle. It just means that maybe sometimes we're trying to attain holiness through building something. So with that, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to have some worship. This is a great time for us to just kind of think about these things. What comes up in your mind that you're trying to attain holiness through rebuilding? So Jesus, thank you for these beautiful surroundings. Thank you for your walls of protection that you just naturally build. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to look at our lives and see the things that we are holding on to as holiness and we give them over to you. Lord, in this time of worship, we ask that you would speak to our hearts about the things that we are just holding so strongly to that maybe we need to let go, or maybe things that we're being called into to express your holiness in our lives. We thank you so much, Lord, for your word that guides us. We thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name. All right, worship team, take it away. All right, so I have reached it as far as these walls will let me go. Um, this canyon's pretty steep there behind me, so I'm not really going much beyond that. Um, this is a good time to really think about what walls are you rebuilding? What projects are you trying to attain holiness? Take a look at the scripture in John that we read and really think about what Jesus was trying to say to the people that were there, the religious leaders, the merchants, the um, the people standing around, think about how he was trying to restore holiness. And that bold assertion that he would rebuild the temple in three days. And what does that mean for us? If you want to have that in your life, if you want that power to rebuild a temple in three days, then ask. Ask for it. God is ready and waiting to give you this amazing um, and humbling power to hand your life over to him. Ask Jesus. His Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you. And you'll go from being a rebuilder to being reborn. So have a great week and we look forward to uh, seeing you next Sunday. <laughs>